are in a series called Ephesians, and really that comes from the book of Ephesians, and we're walking verse by book, verse by verse through this awesome book in the Bible, this treasure chest of an epistle from God's Word written by the Apostle Paul in AD 62 and divinely inspired for Walk Church this morning that we can get a lot of good stuff out of, and I believe God will speak to us through it. And so we've been in Ephesians chapter 3, and last week we, we talked about verses 1 through 6 in a message that was all about the stewardship that God has called each and every one of us to. The word stewardship, by definition, just simply means to give careful treatment to something, to, to act in a responsible way toward something. And God has given us the stewardship over our life, to, to be careful with our life, to to steward and be responsible for the gifts and time and talent and treasures that he gave us. One of the things Paul talked about last week was stewarding your perspective. Stewarding your perspective, giving careful attention to your perspective. He talked about how he's in chains. He's a prisoner while he's writing this letter. Think about that. That's crazy, right? You're doing work for God. You're planning a church in Ephesus, and because of it, you get chained up, and he says, you know what? Give me a pad and pen. I want to write something, and he writes this letter to the Ephesians, and in this letter, he says, look, I'm a prisoner to Christ. Notice he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner to Rome. I'm a prisoner to Caesar. He goes, if I'm a prisoner to anything, it's to the Lord Jesus, and if I'm with him, if I'm chained to him, then I'm going to be all right. He's got me, and that, that was his perspective. His perspective wasn't as a prisoner to this world, but as a follower of Christ. He also talked about stewarding your story, and he says, hey, I have a story. I'm the Apostle Paul. I got saved and rescued in Acts chapter 9 while I was on my way to persecute and kill Christians. Jesus changed my life, set me free, saved me, and that's my story that I've been given to tell and we talked about how we are all called to steward our story. And lastly, in Ephesians 3, 6, he talked about stewarding the promise, the promise that God had given him to relay the mystery of Christ. That's where we pick it up today, and we'll go ahead and dive deeper into those things, and I hope that you'll be encouraged by the word. If you're ready, say ready. ready. If you're ready to eat, say let's eat. Ready. If you're ready to dig into God's word, say let's dig. All right, Father God, let's, let's dig, Lord. We want to dig into your word this morning. God, we don't need to waste time. We're not here to do that. We're here to hear a, a message from you, Lord. We don't need to hear another message from a person or a man. We need to hear a message from the Lord through a man. So God, would you anoint this time? God, give us grace to concentrate, to focus, and to hear you. Would you do that today, Lord Jesus? That's what we ask and by faith, we believe you'll do it. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6, all the way through 9. The Apostle Paul writes, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. Fellow children is what he's talking about. Members of the same body. Partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Verse 7 says, Of this gospel... I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8 says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. 
Verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. I want to preach a message to you this morning that I'm titling the transforming grace, power of God's grace. The transforming power of God's grace. We start out by looking at Ephesians 3 verses 6 through 7. Paul says, this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And then he says, of this gospel I was made a minister. What is this gospel? See, because I think that we can use this Christian jargon, and if we don't understand this language, we might miss this gospel. Paul says, I was made a minister of this gospel. This gospel is this good news reality. Remember, it's not good advice. Brother, sister, it's not a good suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not a good fable story. This is historical good news for me and for you. Here's what the news is. In case you forgot or in case you've never heard it, I want to make sure you got it. The good news is that all of us have been separated from God for eternity. You're like, man, how's that good news? Well, I'm not done yet. We have been separated because of our sin. The wages of our sin require a death penalty. So all of us have a death sentence on our lives. We are sentenced to eternity apart from God. We are not good people. We're rebellious, bad people on our way to eternal hell. But God, everybody say, but God. This is good news right here that but God steps into the picture. And what does God do? He says, not on my watch. That's not going to happen. Here's what I'm going to do. The first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to send my son as a missionary to go from heaven to earth. He's going to be born of a virgin. He's going to grow up in a town called Nazareth. He's going to live the perfect, sinless life that you and I were required to live. But we couldn't live because we sinned. And Jesus would live the life for us in our place. And then he would take our death penalty upon himself, dying on a wooden tree on the cross for all of our sin. His blood is being shed in our place for you and for me. And he would right there in that moment have this great substitution that would take place in history. Here's good news, right? In that moment, all the righteous perfection of Jesus would get moved to you, would get transferred to you, and all of your sin would get lifted off you and onto him. That's the gospel. That, that substitution would take place. Jesus would then die on the cross, get planted in the grave, right? And all of your sin and shame and guilt and mess-ups and forever struggles would go with him, and then Jesus would blast out of the grave and leave it all in there. And then he would say this. This would, would be what he would declare. He'd say, all who would turn from their sin, turn from their old ways, and put their faith in me shall be saved, shall be rescued, shall become a new person, shall be set free for eternity. That's the good news gospel that Paul says, this gospel, I was made a minister of it. Not according to my will, not according to my power, but by according to the gift of God's grace. The word, yeah, I'll clap with you in the back. Amen. Someone was clapping. That's the grace of God. Now, you, you have a choice this morning to either reject that grace or receive that grace. I'll tell you what, I want all that grace. 
I, I, need, I need all of that grace. Paul says this, I didn't make myself a minister. I didn't call myself to the ministry. I didn't do anything. If anything, I made myself a fool. Paul said, but God, by his grace, this undeserved gift, that's the definition of grace, undeserved gift from God. He says, by his grace, he made me a minister. How neat is it that God can make you into something that you're not? That Paul wasn't a minister. Paul was a struggler. Paul Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul was on his way to sentence Christians to death and to prison. And it was in this moment that Jesus said, no, I'm going to make you something else. And he made him a minister. And guess what? He can do that in your life. And maybe he doesn't make you a minister, but maybe he makes you into something else. But here's one thing that he will make you if you choose to put your yes on the table and follow Jesus. I want, to, I want you to see it in the, in the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. Maybe you remember at the beginning of Jesus' testimony, when he first calls his disciples, he said to them two words, follow me. And then what did he say? I will say it with me. Make you fishers of men. Jesus is like, look, I can put a calling on you. I, it's going to take a little bit. It's going to be some sandpaper and some edges around you, Peter and John and the disciples. But I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now, their response was brilliant. Immediately, they left their nets and they followed him. And because of it, we're still talking about Peter, aren't we? We're still talking about Paul. We're still talking about uh, Mary and Martha. We're still talking about the disciples of Jesus that we see recorded us for in the scriptures. You know why? Because he made them into something great. He can do that. Yesterday, I was, I was in the airport with uh, my two brothers, Joey and Ryan. We were coming back from a ministry trip, and we were getting ready to get on the plane. And before that, we walked by a guy before we got to our gate and Maybe you guys know this guy. He's always that one guy that's like selling the credit cards and stuff and the miles. And he's like, hey, look, look, just stop over here real quick. Sign up so we can blow up your inbox and then you maybe we'll get some miles out of it. And I remember we walked by him. He's like, come on, you need to come over here. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. And Ryan just kind of was like, no, nah, we're good. And he was like, well, hey, this will make you great. And I thought it was kind of funny because I was reminded that only he can make us great. That he says, I will make you great. I'll make you a fisher of something bigger than even what you could do. I'll make you a fisher of man. This is Paul's testimony. Paul says, hey, look, I was made a minister of the grace of God. It's this grace that has transformative power on our lives, and he can do that for you. Let me give you three points today as to the things that God does in the life of a believer through the power of his grace. If you're ready, say ready. The first thing that God does in the believer through his grace is that grace produces humility. Grace produces humility. We see this in our text this morning. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 8. The first part says, To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given. Paul was consumed by the grace of God. The more he reflected on this grace, the more humble he became. Now, this blows my mind, church family. This is staggering for me personally because the Apostle Paul, right, he wrote 13 letters in the Bible. He planted churches all around the Mediterranean. He was stoned for his faith. He was 
thrown into the sea and spent a whole night in the sea. He came up out of the sea and went right back to preaching. He, he was doing it big. He preached the gospel to Caesar, the king, and Roman. He was, God was using this dude, and now he writes to the Ephesians. He never knew that this letter was going to be read to Walk Church. He thought this would just be read in a house to the Ephesians, and here's what he says. He goes, y'all know me. I'm the least. No, no, I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given. I think Paul recognized that the grace of God produced in him a spirit of humility. You know what humility is? Humility is just saying, not I, but Christ. Humility is saying, I don't have it all figured out, but he does. Humility is saying, I'm going to look for your needs over my own. Humility says, I'm going to forgive you even when I don't feel like it. Humility says, I don't got it all figured out. I, I'm, I'm a struggler. But he does, and in humility, I'm going to follow him. The grace of God made a prideful man humble. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul here. I'm talking about myself as well. That God's grace, listen to me, church, has the power to take a dead man and make him alive. Amen? That God's grace has the power to take a deeply sinful, prideful person and make him alive. Humble, that God's grace has the power to do the impossible, and all of a sudden it becomes possible. God's grace has the power to heal the sick, to set the captives free. God's grace has the power for you to overcome addictions that you couldn't on your own. God's grace has the power for you to forgive the unforgivable. God's grace has the power for you to heal a broken heart. God's grace has the power for you to get back on your feet when you've fallen down. God's grace has the power to make right what once was made wrong. God's grace has the power to reconcile broken relationships. Am I talking to anybody? Maybe it's just me. God's grace has the power to change your spouse. He can change you. He can change your parents. He can change your kids. God's grace has the power to do that if you let him. He is that type of God. God's grace, when it hits your heart, when the grace of God really impacts you and hits you, it transforms you and makes you humble. It's impossible to be prideful when you're under a waterfall of grace. When the grace of God is just flowing all up in you and over you. Here's, here's how you know if you've been impacted by the grace of God. This is a test for you to say, man, have I really been, have I really been in awe and impacted by the grace of God? Has it made you into a more humble person? The Apostle Paul was once dragging Christians into the street, killing them, having them killed. Now he says, I'm the least of all the saints. Now he could have bragged about his church planning. The, the grace of God makes us not care about our status like that. Makes us less concerned about who's liking our photos and how many retweets we get and how many people know my name. And oh, Well, I want the credit. Who gets the credit? He gets the credit because God's grace has produced humility in me. He writes this as, as well to the Philippian church. In Philippians 2, verse 3 through 5, Paul says, Philippians, I want you to get this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, he says, don't be, don't be conceited, church family. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's hard to do, isn't it? That this is countercultural. The culture tells us to value ourselves over others. Think about yourself first. Put yourself first. It's all about you. It's dog eat dog. But he says, no, in humility in the kingdom, 
value others above yourselves. Verse 4 says, don't look to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Verse 5 says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What would it look like to have a fellowship of believers here that actually lived this thing out? Because we were so enamored by the grace of God that we valued each other more than ourselves. That we looked out for each other more than ourselves. That we put the needs of others over even our own. The grace of God produced that in Paul. And he says, I'm the very least of the saints by this grace given me. A saint was just a person of God. Don't over-spiritualize the word saints. The saints was a person who received Jesus, the true saint, and has now become like him and become a new person in him. Paul says, out of everybody, I'm I'm the bottom. It sounds a lot like what Jesus taught us, doesn't it? What did Jesus say? He said, the first will be last, and the last will be first. Paul, Paul figured out the secret. He said, the more humble I become, the more exalted I become. Paul said, I, I, keep, I keep trying to make myself less, and God keeps putting me up front <laughs> because it's the person that's going to say it's all him that God elevates, that the grace of God produced in, in him humility. C.S. Lewis, the great philosopher, the one who wrote several books in the Narnia trilogy, says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want you to think, oh man, I gotta be humble, I'm the worst. How you doing? I'm just so bad, man. that, That could become a false humility real quick. True humility is just saying, you know what? I'm not even, I'm less concerned with me. It's not always about me. I am not the center of attention. I'm a welcomed addition, but I'm not the center of attention, right? I'm I'm, I'm thinking less of myself. What he says here is that, hey, having this type of humility happens as a result of grace. Not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. This is something that, that consumed the life and heart of Paul. I continue to read this type of affirmation in the book of Proverbs. I don't know if you're joining me reading Proverbs a day, but it has been challenging and so good. Proverbs 18 says it like this, before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. I think all of us want to be honored. We want to be honored in some way, but we have it backwards. We think we have to do a whole lot of stuff so that we can get the honor. But he says, That's actually the opposite. That's what will get you in trouble. The haughty spirit goes before destruction. I don't know what the word haughty meant, so I looked it up. The word haughty, by definition, here's three words that describe the word haughty. Arrogant, superior, or disdainful. So whenever you have to think, man, I'm superior. I'm better than that person. My company's better. My music's better. My speaking's better. My product is better. I'm superior than him. I'm superior than her. That's a haughty spirit. Proverbs and wisdom would say that's actually what will cause destruction. But humility says, I'm putting myself under the authority of Christ, and I'm going to value others even more than myself. Wow. Having this mind, the mind of Christ. I read it this morning. I actually added a slide right before the service today, Proverbs 11. I was reading Proverbs 11 before church today, and I said, there it is again. Today's the 11th, by the way. It is the 11th, right? 
All right, we good. That's what I read this morning, at least. Proverbs 11, verse 2, not verse 12. Verse 2 says, when arrogance comes, there it goes. When we start getting arrogant, disgrace follows. I don't know about you. I don't want to be a disgrace. Well, what follows disgrace? Arrogance. But humility leads to wisdom. Humility leads to wisdom. And again, humility is just saying, God, not me, but you. Not, not me, but you. And this is the spirit of the Apostle Paul as he writes the Ephesians and says, so humbly, I'm the least of all the saints. The, the grace of God, by the power of God, produced humility in this man of God. Let's go ahead and move into the second point. The second point is that grace not only produces humility, but grace motivates obedience. That it's not the wrath of God that motivates us to be obedient. It's the grace of God that motivates us to be obedient. Let's look at Ephesians 3, 8. It says, to me, I'm the very least of all the saints. This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is such a neat characteristic to define Christ by. He says, because of the grace that was given to me, I had to do something about it, Walk Church. When I recognized the grace that was on my life, the undeserved gift from God, I couldn't just sit still anymore. Paul said, I didn't take the grace and bury it and act like nothing ever happened. I didn't take the grace and just kind of put it in my wallet as like a ticket into heaven. He goes, no, I had to share about it. I had to tell somebody about it. To me, though I'm the very least of the saints, this grace was given to me to do something. What did Paul do? Paul preached to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The grace was given to us to do something with it, family. Maybe the grace was given to you to be an athlete for him. Maybe the grace was given to you to be a construction worker for him. Maybe the grace was given to you to be a businessman or woman for him. Maybe the grace of God was given to you to be a mom or a dad for him. Maybe the grace of God was given to you to be a child for him. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am by his grace. The grace of God made Paul a preacher. He said this grace was given me to do something about it. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to share the gospel of God. Let me give you a reality statement really quick. Maybe you can take a picture or write this down. We'll put it on our social media later today. The grace of God will always motivate the child of God to share the gospel of God. To share this good news. Paul said, I had to preach it. I had to share it. And, and you know what I think when he shares it? I, I think it's less of a like, all right, in order for me to share it, I got to like find the verse and like tell you the four steps. However you share it is how you share it. But I think Paul just shared his life with the Gentiles. He said, Gentiles, I want you to come over to me. Now listen, y'all. I was a messed up, terrible, sinful dude. And God in his grace... He rescued me, and he gave me the ingredient to eternal life, which is his son, Jesus. And I believed in him, and I got saved. You need to, too. That was Paul. I think it was less of a Bible study. It was just more out of his heart. Now, maybe you would think, ah, oh, man, if I need to do that, where do I start? What if you started with your kids? You said son or daughter, maybe if you have kids. Say, you know what? Daddy was a messed, messed up person sinful and wicked but Jesus saved me and I want you to know that and you can be saved too 
Maybe you start with your friends, your core group of friends that you love and care deeply about. Or, or, or parents, you start with, with your coworkers or, or, or people that are just deep in your life and you say, you know what? I just, I just want to share this with you. Can I share this with you? God will honor that. That's what Paul's story was. He said, I was so enamored by the grace of God, I, I had to share the gospel of God and trust him with the response. He says, this grace was given, as we look back at this text, he says, this grace was given to do something, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Look at this word for a second, the unsearchable riches. Paul was saying, hey, you can't even search it out. It's so deep. It goes beyond what you can even ask or think. Tony Morita writes in his commentary on the book of Ephesians, here's what he says. He says, God empowered Paul to proclaim the incalculable or unsearchable or incomprehensible riches of Christ. This particular word appears nowhere outside of the biblical Greek. When Paul thought about the glory of Christ, he made up a word. Jesus transformed Paul's life in Christ and his redemption became Paul's resounding theme. I think this is so crazy right here that Paul was like, man, you know what? I'm in chains. I'm thinking about God's grace. I'm thinking about the riches of Christ because I don't even have a word to describe it. I'm about to just make up a word. This word, unsearchable, shows you how deep it goes, how deep his love for us. I've got to confess something to you. We're never going to get tired, about, tired of talking about Jesus here. You know why? Because you never can, you, it's so unsearchable. We're just getting started. Like, we, we, like if we look at verse 8 with me. The riches of Christ and his love are unsearchable, un, uncountable, uncalculable. This is a made-up word here. He's saying you can't exhaust the riches of Christ. You can only just go deeper into Christ. We'll never get tired of singing about Christ because you couldn't sing too much. Talking about Christ, you couldn't talk too much. Believing in Christ, you couldn't believe too much. This unsearchable riches, he's got enough for you too. Did he run out of riches? No. Did he run out of forgiveness? No. You couldn't. You could search far and wide. You wouldn't get to the end. You'd be no closer to the end than you were today because the riches of Christ are so good. And Paul said, I I was made a minister, the least of the saints. Share that with us. That's a good word for us to believe today. That's the power of God's grace. It moved Paul to do something. For him, it looked like sharing it. For you, it may look different, but to do something. Grace motivates us to do something. Let me give you the last point before we're done today. That, that the grace of God produces humility in us. It does. It, it, it produces uh, activity out of us, right? The grace of God calls us to not just have an inward humility, but to do something, to share it, to, to give it, to bring something. Lastly, the grace of God reveals to us the mystery. The grace of God reveals to us this mystery. Now, maybe you're thinking, Pastor Hyden, why do you keep talking about this mystery? Well, really because it's in the scriptures and Paul keeps talking about it. And I think it's good for us to be reminded of this mystery. Let's look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, I'm the least of the sinners, given this grace, 
to preach the gospel, the unsearchable riches, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Here's what you need to remember. You got to be able to go back thousands of years to understand the power in these scriptures. See, thousands of years ago, in history, you could even go as far back as Adam and Eve in the garden. And Satan crept into the garden, and he deceived Adam and Eve. And then God spoke to the serpent, and you know what he said? One day, I will crush your head. Now listen, that became a mystery. Because everybody said, I know God's going to crush Satan, but how's he going to do it? And when's he going to do it? And who's going to do it? That was the mystery. And so for a long time, this mystery was in the dark. God proclaimed it. All throughout the Old Testament, God keeps saying, I'm going to send a Savior. I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send a King. He's coming. And he's going to do it. And this mystery was on display. And prophets were waiting for the mystery. The people of God were waiting for the mystery. And it was in the dark. And then Jesus showed up on the scene. And he said, I am the light of the world. In other words, he said, I'm, light, I'm the light of the mystery. I'm bringing light to this mystery. And now Paul says, look, I want to bring the light for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery? Hidden for ages. It was hidden. But now it's made true. Let me remind you of what he just told us in verse 6. We're almost done here. Ephesians 3 verse 6 says, this mystery, I want you to read it with me. All right, ready? One, two, three. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, through the good news. Paul kept writing about this mystery, and here's what it is. It's that the Gentiles, who are non-Jews, see, the Jews were always known as the people, the children of God, and nobody else could hold that title, to be a child of God. This was limited only for this specific group of people. And the mystery is that now the Gentiles are fellow children of God, are fellow members of the same body, are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, now maybe you don't understand the depths of it. I want to give you maybe an illustration that might help you understand what I'm talking about. It requires some imagination, all right? I want you to imagine with me, okay? I want you to imagine with me a little boy who's born into a family, and this family has a specific religious set of beliefs. And they say, from the time he is a baby to the time he's five, to the time he's 10, to the time he's 15, to the time he's 20, he is indoctrinated with this teaching. Listen, son, there's only one way to God, and it's to do this religion. And it's to believe this way. And anybody else who believes it is the enemy. Anybody else who believes something different is wrong. Anybody else who believes something different should die. Anybody else who believes something different is terrible. Anybody else who believes something different than what we believe, and he goes to school and he hears about it. In middle school, he goes to high school and he hears more about it. And he goes to college and he gets more about it. And he's fiery and he's zealous. And then one day along the journey, he gets hit by God. And God says, you're wrong. The message that you've been believing is for everybody that you've been telling it's not. And his eyes are opened. And he says, wow, that's Paul. 
And Paul says, I never got over the reality that all my life I thought that everybody else was wrong until Jesus stopped me in my tracks and showed me that the grace of God was for everyone. It's a mystery that the Gentiles can now be a part of the same body as the Jews, can be now part of the same promise, and it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. R. Kent Hughes says, Paul has trouble leaving the marvelous subject of the mystery. But this is the compulsion of a grateful heart. He, he never graduated from the grace that was on his life. He never was so in awe. Do you remember when you first became a believer and you were just so in awe that Jesus would save you and that he wouldn't count your sins against you, but he would actually give you grace? Grace upon grace. Paul never lost that, and neither should we. And that's what we learn here in this scripture, that the gospel message that empowers us by his grace is for all of us and for, for everyone outside those doors as well. And it's by our testimony and the grace given us that we become humble, that we walk in humility, that, that we, we understand this mystery, and that we're motivated to do something about it and to be obedient. Amen?